Kristen Peak talks rookies, G League Ignite, Salt Lake City Stars on the podcast. Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. I promised a rookie pod, and this is me delivering that. Who's leading the way? Who and where would you put Keontae George in the tiers as he's put into this starting lineup? Handed keys? Where is he? It's a big centric world right now because Victor Wembanyama's on it. So best rookie in the class for me is Chet Holmgren. Chet had a shot to send the Thunder into overtime against the Warriors. It looked especially Lowry-ish. And let's get to it. Lowry against the Suns. That could have been a foul. It was called a foul on the floor, but it was reversed. And Kevin Durant did get a hand on the ball. That hand on the ball was deemed by the refs as marginal for everything else. Everything else got discounted because he blocked the shot, essentially. So there's the argument and partisans both ways about the foul. It's better that we're talking about the foul than the Jazz getting blown out by 20. Seriously. Where they were at the beginning of the season to where they are now, leagues and miles away from that point. It's huge that you'd rather be talking about the officials than Jazz looked hopeless. Jazz weren't fighting. Jazz weren't in the same class. What those two games represented for me was that Utah has a level that puts them in competition. They can be back to that competitive state where they were last season, where they're playing 50 games in the clutch because they go hard. That they were close with the Suns does something for you, shows that the program's working. So was it a foul? It looked initially to me like a foul. But I've watched it a thousand times and I've convinced myself the other way. This is a better conversation than blowouts. So that's good. But back to Chet, because that's what I was talking about. Chet's been the best rookie. 36-10-5 against Golden State, a crumbling empire. Golden State's too old. I don't see them in the championship contender tier. Throw them out of there for me. But Chet is the perfect player on the perfect team around him. They can play a true five out. He's impacting the game defensively. His shot is unreal. And you have a seven-footer who shoots. This is what happened to the Jazz, where they've got to defend Kevin Durant. You're getting the ball out of his hands because you're doubling. The ball swings around. You're pre-rotating, pre-switching. 18 seconds of good defense. The ball ends up back in the hands of KD, and he can rise over the top of you and make the shot. That's demoralizing. Chet, at points, can get the ball at the end of a shot clock and do the same. He's seven feet. It's very difficult to guard. And if he continues to shoot 45% from three, I don't know, dude. Victor Wembanyama, number two. He does a crazy play every single time he's out there. I was convinced when 
He said he watched Pistol Pete videos for his ball handling. He's special, and he leads the way for the Spurs. He's already averaging 19 points per game in the NBA. It's crazy. Oscar Thompson, first Thompson twin on the board, but he was picked as the second Thompson twin on the Pistons. He's been showing a lot of Andre Kirilenko-ish skills. He'll get a deflection to get himself going. He'll block a shot, grab a rebound, playmake. The only thing is the sketchy shooting. Otherwise, he has feel for the game. He knows and processes at a high level. His defensive intensity is perfect. And at 6'7", he's, he's a disruptor. Thompson, number three. And then one of my favorite bigs in the draft class, and I'm shocked that he's doing it at this level because Duke didn't necessarily show that skill set as consistently. Derek Lively. Derek Lively for the Mavericks has been all that Luka has wanted and has been the perfect pair with a player like Luka. Luka and Kyrie. You're playing pick and roll, so I need a screener, rim roller, and then defensively, a protector. Because sometimes guys are going to blow by those two. And that's what Lively does. He has 32 dunks already. For reference, Lowry and John have 29 combined. 29 dunks. So Lively's getting it at the rim and having a very simple job. Dallas went after DeAndre Ayton in the offseason because Luka needed a center that he could rely on. Couldn't do that with JaVale McGee. Couldn't do that with Christian Wood, if you want to play him at the five. Derek Lively, someone who's young, play around Luka, you hitch your wagon to that dude, he's going to have a job for a while. And then there's Keontae in this tier just below. Friday was the perfect national stage for him to show how well that he played. And I feel like JJ and RJ were having a conversation specifically for this podcast. They were talking about sickos. Keontae George is a sicko. JJ, what did you say it's going to take with the type of person to win this? It's going to be the, the teams with the most amount of sickos. Yes. Yeah. And then, and would you like to clarify that for the people at home, JJ? Why do I have to do this on every broadcast? Because we're talking about the end-season tournament as you see the foul there on Kevin Durant. No, a sicko is just a basketball junkie who is highly competitive, who wakes up every morning looking for a reason to try and win something. Durant Booker, couple of sickos. couple of sickos, for sure. I see you. I hear you. Representation matters. When it comes to sickos, I'm glad that they talked about it. It was a privilege to listen to it. Thank you to all the sickos listening right now. JJ and RJ, tremendous broadcast on ESPN. But that was a good time for the world to see what Keontae George does. He played really well. He did have the mistake at the end where he errantly drove with a minute 15 instead of pulling the ball out and setting up the offense. But those are the growing pains. He was spectacular up until that point. There's got to be something to being punch for punch with a team that has Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. They're in a different stratosphere. And the Jazz still competed, which is huge. Huge for them. Huge for the confidence of the program. But this is where Keontae is. He's in that next group of really good players in this draft class. Scoot Henderson 
had the injury, starts off very slow in the teens shooting, and he still hasn't shown the explosion that you saw when he was on G League Ignite. There's a conversation to be had about Kaysen Wallace playing on the Thunder, but he has a reduced role. He's playing bench units. He isn't doing the same and having the same burden that Keontae has. But there's no reason for him not to be in this group. Scoot, I wouldn't throw away all the stock yet because I still believe in that dude's competitive edge. But as of right now, November 20th, Keontae leads the way at those guards. Five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. G League Ignite, a very, very bad, no good, awful start to the season against the Salt Lake City Stars. Ron Holland looked terrible. The only good player on the floor was Tyler Smith. And he's a first-round talent, not a top-10 dude like Modest Bezelis, Holland, and Itzan Almanza. Almanza had moments, but even he looked sleepy in that game. I mean, they all look bad. They, the team lost by 50 to the Stars. But it was good to get out there. It was good to see Taylor Hendricks on the ball. He was guarding Ron Holland a lot of the time. He got possessions on that dude who people see as potential number one pick. And he frustrated him. He was going coast to coast, block, and then the dunk on the other end. Taylor Hendricks getting that confidence, getting those reps. Bryce Sensabaugh scoring in droves. He has the ball in his hands a little bit more getting possessions. So, good to see the Stars have the opportunity, make it out there, see those guys develop and get better. It's important along the journey. Check them out. I caught up with Kristen P. She was at the game. She knows these guys since AAU, since high school days. She's going to give the skinny on the rookies. Be back later. It's Kristen Peak on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Popping off a lot, JP. so great about my job is like it's it's I start when these players are 15 and 16 and I'm able to cover them when they're five-star recruits in high school if they're one and done talents I'm watching them and covering them and doing mock drafts and player profiles during their one year or two or three years in college and then once they hit the NBA I do rookie power rankings I'm there draft night I'm interviewing them I mean I'm like I told you I mean draft night is like graduation I'm like a proud auntie you know, like when I saw Keontae, Keontae George after he was drafted, you know, uh, he gave me like the biggest hug. And it's just this like weight off their shoulders, you know, because they there's so much stress before the draft. And so then to finally know where they're going to go, to finally know like what their future is as an NBA player, a dream they've had their whole lives is incredible. But yeah, like you said, I watch a lot of basketball. It's me and my dog, Gary, usually like curled up on the couch at home when I'm home or like you said, I went to Australia. They've got potential number one pick Alex Starr there. They've got uh, AJ Johnson, Bobby Clintman, Alex Tui, um, Trenton Flowers. So I was kind of ma- making my way around Australia. And then Sunday, 
I mean, woe is me. I got to go to Hawaii for the Maui Invitational. So <laughs> it's a tough life. It's terrible. I get to see Tennessee, Syracuse, UCLA, Purdue. What a terrible life you lead. <laughs> but how have you gotten better from this? Take a look at, at what you were when you started doing this, making those draft profiles, looking at players. How have you gotten better from the first time that you did it? Oh, the first time that I was asked to be a draft analyst and do mock drafts, I was a terrible writer. I mean, obviously, I, I played all through college, so I know the game. But there's a difference from knowing what a player is doing and then turning that into words and evaluation that consumers and fans can understand. Um, so it was it was a struggle. And I, I read a lot of other people's work. I read my work over and over and over again. I talked to college coaches endlessly. I had conversations with NBA scouts. What are they looking for? What works in the NBA? Because if you're a great college player, that doesn't necessarily translate to the NBA. So what do what is the NBA value that college maybe don't? And that's, uh, I'll tell you three things that what it is. It's, it's uh, youth, length, and upside. Those three things above everything else, like teams, and we've seen it before, teams will draft on potential alone if there are those three components involved. And I think that the Jazz would fall in that category with Taylor Hendricks, who you were able to see earlier this week at the G League Ignite Stars game, something that he's going to be going through, which is the G League in his development. What is it about Taylor that excites NBA people and gets the Jazz as somebody to take him with the number nine pick? I mean, he's got the length. He's, he's very young. Obviously, there's tremendous upside. And look, I don't think there's any problem with any player that's drafted late in the lottery, that's drafted in the first round to go down to the G League and get more reps. You know, and it and it's and it's harder. I think it's a bigger adjustment for bigger players to adjust to the pace and the spacing of the NBA game because it's significantly different than what they had in high school and college. You know, there's a lot of PNR, there's a lot of pin downs, it's reading the mismatches, it's the pick and pop and knocking down that three consistently. Because if you're not, you're going to be sitting. Defensively, you got to be able to guard the switch. You got to be able to, you know, fight over screens if you're a guard. And that takes some time. I mean, with someone like Keontae, we're seeing like he's having a much easier adjustment to the NBA. But it's not to say that Taylor and Bryce are going to be bust if they're down in the G League getting reps. I think it's better for them especially what we're seeing from Bryce and just his confidence grow as an offensive threat. And with Taylor, with his 3 and D potential, you know, kind of stepping out into the perimeter and getting more comfortable in the system that the Jazz have. So um, I think there's a lot of positives with both players. And I, I think, you know, particularly at 16, when the Jazz getting Keontae is, he's going to be end up being one of the best players in this draft class. It's a long season it's, it's very lonely, especially for rookies trying to make that adjustment because they're used to, you know, if, you, if you're in college, you mix it up with, with school and, and basically your entire schedule is planned out for you from your coaches, from your, um, from your teachers, from your professors. And then you all live together in a dorm and it's just very structured where you're in the NBA and it's like, it's up to you. It's up to you to develop good habits. It's up to you to manage your time. And it's up to you after practice to put in the reps and, and the energy either in film or getting extra shots up. I mean, this, it's all up. It's all on you. You are now a paid professional. Like you have to do that. So everybody's road is going to be different. And not only that, like 
you got to also accept your role on the team. Everybody's going to be different. Not a, not everyone's going to have the opportunity like he's having right now to start on his 20th birthday, which I loved, and also have impactful minutes where he's facilitating and it looks like he's known this offense for more than he has. I mean, 27 assists for a rookie in three games is insane. Did you did you see this at Baylor or even during his journey coming up because he played at I think IMG the passing part lead ball handler lead facilitator I don't think was in his draft profile initially he was always always a score first guard yeah he always was and he wanted the big shots at the end of the game the end of the shot clock he can get a shot off from anywhere. He loves the step back three. He loves getting to the paint. He loves getting to the rim. So seeing him kind of step back and accept this role of looking at what other assets they have on the floor with for the Jazz and knowing like, okay, I don't have to be that guy anymore. How can I impact this game positively um, to see more minutes and, and help us win games? Because that's the ultimate goal, you know? And, and, and a story about Keontae that um, his mother told me when she was out here um, I took her. I took her up to the the Wasatch Mountains. We went up uh-huh. Big Cottonwood Canyon. Went for went for a little hike, and then we went to lunch. And she told me as soon as Key got drafted to the Jazz, he was watching every game from last season to try to figure out the Jazz system, how he can play within it. And he is a meticulous student of the game. Like there, that that kid, that player, like he know he. He loves one thing, and that's basketball. And he will do anything and everything in his power to progress his game and stay on the court as long as possible. But when I heard that, I was like, he watched 82 jazz games from last, and they were bad jazz games. Like, and he watched them. Like, that is that is crazy to me. And how unique is that? Because it's not as if every everybody is different, but not every player goes home and watch, watches basketball like that. Not everybody's a, a basketball sicko like that, right. almost, like as a description. To do that, that work says something about him. Absolutely. I mean, I, I want to say him, uh, Wimby is built way yeah. differently, and then the Thompson twins. Like, those two, those, those four players in this draft class, you just look at what they're off the court, how how productive they are off the court, and, and just pursuing the – the things that players don't necessarily want to do, right? Like nobody loves watching film. Nobody lo- like, and, and it's it's one thing to look at the system, but also look at your opponents and and the players that you're going to be facing this rookie season. Like how can Key, put, or he's probably thinking like, how can I position myself in a place where I'm not surprised by anything that Chris Paul does or Steph Curry? Like how how can I be ready for what they're going to be on the court? When I heard the story about Wemby watching Pistol Pete highlights for his ball handling, I said, oh, no, this guy, this guy gets it. I, I like this guy a little bit. Not that this is groundbreaking, that Wemby's going to be good, but I said, Pistol Pete, former jazz man, I'm in. I'm in on Victor <laughs> Wembanyama. He is, uh, listen, um, you know, you always have those question marks, especially with players like his size, because we saw what, Chet, what happened to Chet his first year when he had to sit out. But I think he has exceeded and met every expectations that the NBA and players specifically like to hear Kevin Durant say, 
yeah, I tried to block a shot and halfway up, I, I thought there's no way I'm getting, I'm not even, I'm not even in the vicinity to contest it. And Kevin Durant is 6'11". Like that to me is, is crazy. And it's going to be really, really fun to see how his career develops, you know, in the NBA. Looking at the other two players, the, the Stars players that were there, Bryce Sensabaugh was somebody who kind of like Keontae, he could score. Everybody mm-hmm. can see that at Ohio State. What else can he add and what does he need to add to contribute to an NBA team? You know, it's so funny, and I don't know if this was um, intentional from the Jazz, but uh, Bryce and uh, Taylor were AAU teammates. So to see them share the court again is is kind of funny to me, you know. And maybe that's that, that could have been intentional knowing that they played successfully together, you know, um, just a couple short years ago. Like, that's it's, I remember watching them at Peach Jam. Like, it's crazy to see them, <laughs> you know, on the court again just a couple nights ago. Um, putting an absolute beating on the Ignite, by the way. We'll get to them. We'll get to the Ignite. But with Bryce, like I said, I think he, in preseason, you know, you see a little bit of confidence issues. So to see how well he performed in like the first couple games and for for the G League, in the G League, you know, he's putting up good numbers. Um, He's not hesitating especially off the PNR, I noticed. Like, if his man slips, he's going to let it fly. I think his handle has gotten better, um, which is a testament to the work he's put in. Um, so I think he could be a solid secondary unit uh, at some point, but it's going to take some time, and he's going to need additional reps, you know, in the G League. And that's the thing. I mean, scoring is a valuable, valuable NBA skill. <laughs> if you could get a bucket, you can have a job in this league. Yeah, and but I think with Bryce, I think his biggest adjustment is creating separation. Right. You know, in college, he could kind of bully himself to the rim, and that's not the case here. Um, so he's going to have to learn to create a little bit more separation for himself, um, you know, facing these longer, more athletic players on the perimeter. I would say that we saw that Monday night against G League Ignite. They are in a house of horrors right now with the way that they looked. How do you even explain what's happening with the Ignite program? They didn't have Modest Bazelis out there on the floor. He was injured. They didn't have they didn't have three players. They didn't have uh, Modest. They didn't have um, London Johnson, yeah. who this is his second year. He played behind Scoot Henderson, so that would alleviate it a little bit of the on-ball pressure that they were getting. And they didn't have Eric Minka, which people might think like, oh, who cares, the, the former BYU player. But I spent a week in September at the Ignite when, or in Vegas when the Ignite, um, when they were playing the Perth Wildcats for two exhibition games. I went to practice. Eric Minka is the voice of the defense. And to watch them completely just scramble and look like they had no idea what they were doing on offense and in defense, sometimes just inbound passes, just passing it to, the, to like a Stars player was just like, what is going on? I mean, Ron having 11 turnovers, I've never, ever seen that in ever in his career, just in high school and then also like in the, the few short games that um, the Ignite has had. So it's definitely a growing pain. I can't explain it because they definitely have a ton of talent. They maybe have like five first rounders on their team. So I don't know if it's just like they're just young. And they they took a lot of one and done talents that are going to be gone after this draft class and maybe not necessarily focused on getting more established players that have either played in the league 
that can be like the player coach or, you know, even Isaiah Todd, who's been in the G League for, I don't know how many years, three or four years, look completely lost and disinterested in his time on the court. Um, but the main positive that I would take from that game, and I mean, there aren't a lot, is Tyler Smith looked incredible. This is a guy, I mean, he's 6'10". He played for Overtime Elite uh, last year. Everybody just kind of wrote him off. And defensively, like, he was stacking up nicely with Taylor Hendricks. He was shooting the three ball incredibly well. He has the last three games. So, and I had an NBA scout text me after watching the game, and he said, Tyler Smith made himself a lot of money tonight. So you look at, like, the 59-point deficit, but as an NBA scout, you're looking at a player specifically, and Tyler Smith is... I think a sleep, a first round sleeper from what I've seen in the last three days. And like, he's not going to be overlooked very much longer if he keeps playing like that. And this is supposed to be one of the more talented G League Ignite teams that they've put yep. together, correct? Yeah. And in terms of like young talent, I mean, before the season, we were looking at Modest and, and Ron possibly going one and two. I don't think that's going to be the case, especially with what Alex Starr is doing against grown men in Australia I think Isaiah Collier is making a strong case. I think we're going to see more productivity from uh, Stefan Castle from UConn. And Jacoby Walter, I'm sorry, he is doing his thing, not paying for a number one pick, but he is going to be up there, I think, higher than than people expect. So it's just, I mean, you, you just got to take it as a growing pain for the Ignite. And uh, Jason Hart is a great coach, and I know they're going to figure it out. It was just unfortunate that it was that much of a awful beating <laughs> for, for the first or second, third game of the season. Almanza, we haven't talked about him just yet. What is his projection? Because he was another player that was out there against the Stars on Monday. I mean, some teams and some draft experts love him. They love his size. They love his versatility and how he can kind of either stay in the post or step out in the wing. Um, he's another one of those like high character guys. So you're going to, you're not going to ha- hear any problems with him, you know, off the court. Um, originally from Spain, he also played for overtime elite last year and him and Alex Starr were actually roommates. So to see the two of them kind of go from maybe fringe first, late first, early second rounds to now Alex being considered for the number one pick and Isan like being a late lottery mid first round projection is, you know, incredible, I think, and, and really positive for the two of them. So I think especially in this draft where there's a lot of question marks, we don't have a lot of star quality players. You're not, you don't have Victor, you know, next year we have to wait until Cooper flag comes along. So this is kind of like a, not a throwaway draft. Like there's going to be some dudes, but there's just a lot of question marks and, you're not going to see teams tanking, that's for sure. Or, I'm sorry, putting themselves in a favorable position to <laughs> land top 10. I know I know the NBA doesn't like the word tanking. Um, I always get in trouble anytime I write about it. Um, but uh, it, it's just one of those years where I think by January or February, we're all going to know who's going number one. But until then, there's about six guys that are you could put in the top three and about – 35 that you could put from like from like 8 to 30 or 8 to 20 even you know right well and i'm sure by the time draft season comes around people are gonna say oh there's some players that are yeah uh, exactly are gonna be it's it's november what are we talking yeah you know it's november it's way too early and and that's why we have you on because uh 
G League Ignite was here. I expected a better show against the Stars, but that didn't end up delivering. That's okay. Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. In Chicago for the Champions Classic, what impressed you about the teams that you saw? Some really powerful programs that were playing in that. Yeah, and you know what's funny is usually the Champions Classic is the first game of the season, right out of the gate. And this year it was the third game of the season, so it allowed the team to kind of get a couple games under their belt. Um, but I, I love the Champions Classic. I know NBA scouts and executives love the Champions Classic because it's a massive stage. And it's always interesting to see which players, there's usually one, there's usually two, that rise to the occasion with all the pressure, with with everything, you know, kind of mounting on it. Because it's it's if it's not sold out, it's pretty close to being a sold out. Every team is there. There's GMs there. There's executives. There were at least three people from the Jazz that came out for Champions Classic um, because we were all on the same flight back. But... Uh, you know, you always, like a few years back, it was Tyrese Maxey. He really had a tremendous Champions Classic performance. Quentin Grimes in, in his freshman year at Kansas, he was incredible. So we're, we're all sitting there, we're like, okay, who's going to be the Tyrese Maxey of this year? And it was Caleb Foster from Duke, the freshman guard. He didn't score at all in the loss to Arizona. He yep. only played nine minutes. And so, you know, you could enter this game and just be kind of like, oh, woe is me. I hate Coach Sartre. Like, he's not playing me enough and really have that mentality. But what he told me after the game was, like, it's really tough, especially at Duke, to kind of sink down and get down on yourself because it's always next game, next game, next game. Like, that's what Coach Shire teaches because they have a tough schedule and you cannot get hung up on what you did in the previous game. you got to look ahead. And he was, I mean... At one point, he had in back-to-back possessions, back-to-back really tough threes. Then he hit one with two minutes left when they were only up by two to put him up by five, a corner three, you know, kind of like a double-team pass from Kyle Filipowski. So he had 16 second-half points. He had 18 points total, zero turnovers. So, you know, NBA scouts and executives at the way, they're like, okay, Kayla Foster, we see you. We see how productive you can be. Hunter Dickinson was another player. He set the record for most rebounds in champions classic history. He had 21 rebounds and 27 points. I don't know how he's going to translate as an NBA player, but he's definitely going to be dominating the college game. And then Rob Dillingham from, from Kentucky. I mean, this is a player, everyone coming into Kentucky, their number one recruiting class. They're looking at Justin Edwards, six, eight wing, who was a top player in high school and DJ Wagner, the son of Dewan Wagner and, and grandson of Milt Wagner, his NBA pedigree coming down. Uh, that's where everybody's attention was. And Rob had 16 points in the first, like, 
eight minutes of the game. He's going to be one of the best passers in college basketball this year. But it's just his size is the only thing that uh, gives NBA scouts pause because I want to say he's, if any, yeah, I mean, he's barely six feet. So he doesn't really have that like length that they're looking right. for at the guard position, but he is a dynamic passer. So those three players, I think, are the three that really popped for me personally and for NBA scouts that were there. Holly Rowe said something interesting today when she was here at the practice facility about Kyle Filipowski. He was actually watching Lowry Markinen as tape that he wants to aspire to be. What is it about Kyle Filipowski's game that stands out for NBA scouts? So with Kyle, I mean, it's his size, obviously, seven feet. Um, the fact that he's not afraid to shoot the three at the pick and pop. I mean, Duke is running nearly everything through him, whether that's a pin down screen, whether that's uh, off the, the pick and roll, whether he's slipping. He had a couple plays where he slipped the screen early on and they were able to get it to him for, you know, easy baskets in the lane. Uh, but then they, you know, were just, they, they made adjustments. Michigan State is, though, they're going to make adjustments. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's encouraging that he's, He's studying Laurie because uh, last year he shot only 27% from three-point range. And uh, during the Champions Classic, he went 0 for 4, 0 for 5 from three. So it's not that he's scared to shoot the three. It's just there's no consistency there yet. And this is year two. Um, so, but they they love like, his defensive presence. He's able to guard a little bit more efficiently after having his double hip surgery that he had last spring, which, you know, you hear that and you're like, he, wait, he's better. He's better at guarding. Like, how is that even possible? I mean, he's embracing his double hip surgery. He wears this pink shirt that says double hip flip. His nickname is flip for Filipowski. Um, so uh, it's, it's only time. I mean, I have my reservations about him as a prospect, uh, but again, he's still young. There's a ton of upside, and you can't discount that. He moves extremely well for his size, and if his three-point shot gets a bit more consistent, we could see him as a lottery pick. Wildest place this job has ever taken you? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I guess, I mean, outside of the States, probably Belgrade, uh, Serbia. Hey, Serbia. That was really yeah. fun. Uh, just being in the gym, there's no air con. You know, what was really nice is I actually, um, Sean James, who's uh, one of the scouts for the Jazz, he was over there. I ran into him in the lobby. Him and then the international scout for the Jazz, Alex, they kind of took me under their wing and took me to the best restaurants. <laughs> you know, they they we got to the games together. Me and Sean got lost at one point, but he played in, he played over in Europe for 12 years. So he's like, we're fine. We'll figure it out. Like somebody here will speak English. And I was like, okay. Like, you know, but uh, in the States, gosh, I've been to a lot of just places, remote places that you would never expect talent to be at. Obviously, when Zion was playing, I was in South Carolina quite a bit. Peach Jam is in Augusta, Georgia, which, you know, I, I want to say Augusta is known for the Masters and Peach Jam. I don't think anybody goes to Augusta, Georgia. Um, some really really uh interesting places in florida i've been um you know i just I go where the talent is that's that's the name of the game on the flip side it's like go to australia go to paris go to you know are you good with directions i am uh, do you know my sister gave me i have a twin sister she gave me one of the best compliments because i'm on the road constantly and she we went back to pennsylvania for 
our great aunt's 95th birthday or whatever. And I was like, let's go to New York City because I'm there at least two or three times a year with the draft and, and other events. And and she was just like, I'm just following you like a sad little puppy. I don't know where we're I don't know if we're going the right way. I don't know if this is the right train. I don't. <laughs> she was just like, if you're doing this job, go to a lot of games, see the players and also have a good good nose for direction. Absolutely. Yes. Google Maps is my best friend. You can get anywhere with Google Maps. She's Yahoo's draft analyst, Kristen Peake, on Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. Kristen, appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me.